Good morning, afternoon, evening. I'm Lux of the Royal Deluxe Podcast, which you are now listening to. I I, I didn't die. Despite my... (coughs) (coughs) Maybe I I actually will. Good morning, afternoon, evening. It's Lux of the Royal Deluxe Podcast, which you are now listening to. And I didn't die. Despite my best efforts, yesterday morning or so, I uh, was running, and then I um, did a did a little oofie, did a little oopsies, and I uh, basically at one point landed on the side of my foot, like my like I don't know why my foot turned sideways. In the first place, I don't mean like I turned my foot a little bit and I you know twisted my ankle. No, I mean I like just like jumped and landed on the side of my foot. And so my entire foot is just, it, it, it's gone. I am in a world of pain. But as Royals fans, we're used to feeling that way, right? <laughs> anyway, I understand that it's been a while since I have done one of these podcasts. And there are reasons for that. Are they good reasons? That's up for you to decide, but uh, we don't need to get into them. The point is, I have been away for a little bit, and I apologize for that. Now that we're in the offseason and there isn't any Royals baseball to talk about, it's just been a little bit, uh, I don't know, strange, a little difficult getting things going. And, you know, I've got my own things in my life, my extremely boring and uninteresting life going on that has maybe inhibited my ability to do these podcasts, but I still... I am committed to doing this, and I promise we will have some episodes in the winter. So, I've got this going on today. I'm going to do this episode. It's going to be maybe a bit of a longer one, probably like an hour long, because there are a lot of things that we need to catch up on. So much has happened since the last episode of Royal Deluxe uh, regarding the Royals, because when we uh, last spoke... The Royals hadn't even selected their manager yet. We knew it was going to happen because I think I think the very last episode I did was right at the end of the season. So we were kind of asking questions like, okay, what's going to happen at the end of the season? And we, we knew that we were getting new managers because Mike Matheny had been fired by that point. Yeah, that was the last thing we talked about. I'm pretty sure. But we have now... Um, we now know who the next Royals manager is going to be, so we're going to talk about that. We also have a new bench coach and a new pitching coach that we're uh, that we have to talk about as well. And then the next thing I want to get into is roster updates. We have a few, I would say, semi-important updates to the roster. Some interesting names that have been cut, uh, who are no longer going to be in the Royals organization going forward, and some who are. And another topic I want to bring up is the draft lottery, because that was just announced yesterday, I believe. So the there is a, uh, well, you, you, well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Draft lottery, it's important. Number four, downtown stadium. That's another big thing that has been going on with the Royals lately, and the Royals have made an actual statement. Like, the, the first actual statement we have heard in official capacity. It's no longer just a rumor. It's no longer just a thing that, you know, has been a, a, a murmur, a mumble. It's like the Royals have finally come out and said something about it for reals. So we're going to talk about that. And then 
A couple other things I want to talk about are uh, extension discussions because we're in that time of the offseason where you know, free agency is open and, you know, Royals can do whatever they want, um, essentially. But we're also wondering, like, hey, there are some guys on this roster that we might want to keep around for a very long time. So let's maybe uh, think of some extensions. So I have some ideas that I want to uh, touch base upon there. And then we've got some free agent speculation. So free agency is open now. The winter meetings are going on right now, which is actually why I'm doing this podcast now, because I don't want to fall even further behind with, you know, uh, winter meetings, rule five draft coming up, lots of things going on. So it's like, all right, if I don't get to, if I don't get this done now, there is going to be way too much to catch up on, uh, in the near future. So hopefully I can get around to all of that, uh, today. And I do have more things I wanted to talk about. I wanted to kind of talk about the playoffs and what that can mean for the Royals in the future, as well as my own MLB awards, my picks for MVP, Cy Young, all that good stuff. I have my lists, uh, at the ready, but I probably am not going to be able to do that today. I mean, I could, I could, but I mean, do I want to do like a two hour podcast? Do you want to listen to a two hour podcast? Do you want to listen to me talk for two hours all at once? I, I, I feel like I'm already demanding a lot of your time with this one. So we'll get to that some other time. And plus, you know, I have to have something else to talk about during the winter, right? So let's get to the main topic at hand, which is the new Royals manager it has been selected. Uh, I think it's, what, the 18th manager in franchise history. The Royals have hired Matt Quattrero as their manager for the big league club. Matt Quattrero, first of all, I really thought it was Quattraro. I, I, I really thought it was Quattraro. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. BS. I, I wonder if he just made it up himself. Like, he just decided how it's going to be pronounced, and we all just have to accept that. I don't know. Whatever. But in any case, Matt Quattrero, he was previously the bench coach with the Tampa Bay Rays. And he had actually had that position since the 2019 season. And before that, he was their third base coach for a couple of years. Before that, he worked with the Cleveland, at the time, Indians as an assistant hitting coach in 2014. And before that as well, from 2010 to 2013, he was a hitting coordinator for the Rays. So huge Rays connection, temporary Indians connection, and I gotta say, there isn't too much that I can know about Quattrero because I, you know, I've said this before. I kind of talked about this when we discussed hiring a new manager. It's not so easy to know what a manager really does because, you know, with baseball players, you know, with free agency, I think our, the, the biggest need for the Royals is starting pitchers. So we can look at the entire list of every single free agent starting pitcher on the market right now and argue who is and isn't good for the Royals next season or the future otherwise. Because, you know, stats are very, very easy to quantify and determine with players. Managers don't have that. Managers and baseball personnel they don't have that sort of thing. So there are only small inferrals that we can kind of make with managers as to uh, in regards to how well they will do. 
But based on what little we know about Quatrero, I find it hard to th- to th- to think of anyone that would have been a better hire. To be completely honest with you, because what exactly are we asking the Royals to do? I think the number one theme for suggestions um, in regards to how the Royals can be operating is. Be more like Cleveland and Tampa. Why? Because Cleveland and Tampa are two of baseball's smallest market teams and simultaneously two of baseball's most successful teams. Kansas City, you know, what, like it or not, we are going to be a small market team. We we may – it is possible that we can spend more money than the Rays and the Guardians. Totally possible. But even still, we're kind of at this baseline. All right, we're, we're kind of lumped into this group. And so we may as well emulate the ones who are best, at the very least better than us. So often you, you're going to hear people say, hey, we need to be more like the Guardians. We need to be more like the Rays because the Rays have, you know, seemingly as much power as the Royals do in terms of how much they can spend, how much they can, you know, really compete with the big teams, you know, Los Angeles and Chicago and New York and, and acquiring talent. So we got to be more like the, the, the guys who, you know, should be more like us, those smaller market teams. And so you get a guy from Tampa, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like what, how can you even criticize that? Honestly. And if nothing else, He's someone who's outside of the Royals organization. I think that's another common theme that um, people have when talking about how to improve the Royals. It's, well, we can't just keep doing the same things we've always been doing. So one of the finalists for the manager job was Pedro Grafol, who is who was, I guess, our bench coach. And I guess I'll, I'll mention that in a second. Um, and, and Pedro Grafol has been here for a very very long time. He used to be the bullpen catcher. He used to be, um, he used to, he, I think he still, or did up, up until now, um, coach the catchers. You know, he's done lots of things with the Royals and he's been here for a very long time. I think since like 2010 or so. And so lots of people have maybe thought that, hey, this may as well be a good time as any for him to finally get a job as manager. But, if that happened, it's like, well, why would we promote someone from within when, you know, everything that the Royals have done so far in the last few years has been completely wrong? Why would we continue doing that? The state that we're in right now is kind of because the Royals continue to do things from within. They continue taking the safe options. You know, like when they, when Ned Yost was gone, they didn't decide to, you know, do an actual managerial search. They're just like, hey, let's get someone in here, just someone that we like, and then, you know, indoctrinate him for a year and then just make him, and and then just install him as the actual manager. That's what they did with Mike Matheny. It was a very, very safe, very calculated, very risk-free option. And it absolutely blew up in its face. Maquatrero going outside the Royals organization, going from a 
or going to an organization that you want to imitate, that you want to emulate. That's about as good as it can get, honestly. Who knows? Maybe Quatrero won't be a good manager. We we can, and if that happens, and in three years, we'll, maybe we can criticize the Royals and be like, oh, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? Maybe in three years, Pedro Grafol will win a World Series with the White Sox, and we're going to look like big, dumb idiots. Totally possible. But at the very least, right now, the logic makes a lot of sense. Which leads us to our new bench coach. Because an interesting thing happened where Pedro Gafol, who, you know, I just talked about, has actually left the Royals organization because he was hired by the Chicago White Sox to be their manager for the 2023 season. So very interesting development there. Very interesting to see him go to a divisional rival. But hey, um, all the best to him. I wish him the best, although I kind of wish him the best at no expense to the Royals. <laughs> so when we're playing the White Sox, I'm still going to be rooting against the White Sox. I, I still kind of don't like the White Sox very much, but I still hope that he succeeds over there. And I and I feel like that's a good, it was a good decision by the White Sox. I was actually um, over there on their subreddit kind of helping them out a little bit because some of them were freaking out like, oh my god, we just got a guy from the Royals. The freaking Royals who just lost 97 games and wouldn't hire this guy to fix their issues. But we did. How stupid are we? And I'm like, all right, guys. All right, hold, hold, hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Okay. Probably not that big of a deal that he wasn't hired by the Royals. Like I said, the Royals kind of wanted to go outside the organization because doing things within the organization has led to a lot of issues. And Grifola seemed like a guy that could be a manager someday. He, he seemed like that for a while. He probably should have been the manager starting in 2020 instead of Mike Matheny. But players love him. He's bilingual. He's someone who can adapt. He can. He's a forward thinker. He, he embraces analytics. He does all these things that people want nowadays. So I think he'll be fine over there. But, of course, him leaving means that we now have a vacancy at Bench Coach. And so, with the help of Quatrero, we have Paul Hoover as our new Bench Coach. And guess what? Paul Hoover comes from the Rays. He was their field coordinator for the last four seasons. What does that mean? I have no idea. There are lots of guys who work in who work in baseball that have jobs that are very very vague and we just never know who they are until someday they're suddenly really really important such as right now where this guy has a very um he basically has a front row seat to Royals in-game decision making. But a pretty interesting thing about this guy is that he's someone who has helped work with catchers. And like I just said, Pedro Gafol was the guy who was basically our, our catching coordinator, our longtime catching guy. And Paul Hoover specifically teaches pitch framing, which is something that we have <laughs> really not had a lot of. I, I really don't know if, if pitch framing is a thing that the Royals teach like at all in their organization because it's not something Salvi has any concept of. It's not something that MJ Melendez has any concept of. So maybe someone who does have some concept of it will be able to uh, instill it 
in the catchers we have right now, even if it's Sorry, I just hit the microphone if you heard that. Uh, it, even if it's something that's kind of going to go away in a couple of years with electronic strike zones being a more likely um, future for baseball. So, once again, get a guy who's from an organization that you want to emulate. Get a guy from the Rays. Great. Um, one interesting thing about Pedro Grifol leaving is that he actually took Mike Tosar with him. And I think someone else who was on the uh, Royals hitting staff, basically. Mike Tosar is one of the special hitting instructors. I think he was the hitting, the assistant hitting coach at the major league level with Alex Zumwalt um, this season uh, when Zumwalt got promoted. And that could be some unfortunate news for the Royals because... The one thing we do have going for us right now is our hitting development. We actually have some legitimate hope for this lineup in the near future. So Tosar being a, a key part of that, no longer being with us, it's like, hmm, that, that's unfortunate. But hey, that's that's just going to happen, honestly. Um, as long as Zumwalt is still around and Sailor, who is the minor league hitting coordinator, as long as he's still around... I think things are going to be okay, and don't be so sad about it, because if anything else, it shows that the Royals are doing something <laughs> good, right? I mean, look, we're saying, hey, Royals need to emulate the winning ball clubs. Right now, Chicago Chicago had one of the worst lineups in the American League, I think. They were, they were awful, and they got rid of their hitting coach. So they're like, hey, what's a team that's trending upwards in offense right now? Royals? Oh, well, who's, like, third in command at the Royals? Let's go get that guy. Actually, I think Mike Tosar is here specifically because of Pedro Grifol. I could be wrong about this. I, you know, in, in my, uh, you know, two months of absence, I, I, I've clearly done a lot of research. But I, I remember reading on, I think, The Athletic back in 2018 or so that um, Jorge Soler in the 2017-2018 offseason, he'd gone home to Cuba and he really wanted to, you know, completely change the way he was hitting because 2017 was awful for him. And so Pedro Grifol like set him up with a guy in Cuba so he could get, you know, special coaching. And I think that guy was Mike Tosar. I think that's who it was. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I, I want to believe that's... um. That's what happened because Tosar was basically the guy directly credited for helping with Jorge Soler. And, you know, in 2018, we did start to see results of that. 2019, it finally came to fruition. So, yeah, I think White Sox are going to be okay. But again, hopefully not at the expense of the Royals. And the final piece of our management puzzle that we went into this offseason with is the pitching coach. We desperately needed a new pitching coach, and thank God Cal Eldred was fired. Should have been fired like two years ago. Whatever. Here we are. The present is the present. The past, whatever happened, happened. The Royals hired a new pitching coach, and it is Brian Sweeney, who was the bullpen coach for, guess who? Did you guess the race? You're wrong. It was the Cleveland Guardians. He'd been there since 2019, and 
look, the, the, the Guardians have a really good bullpen. They've always had a really good bullpen. They've always had really good pitching. And we just got one of their pitching coaches. So, yeah. Like, like you know, like I've been saying, we need to emulate these other organizations. We need to emulate Cleveland and we need to emulate Tampa. That's what we're doing right now. So, again, I can't really say too much else about Brian Sweeney. Although, uh, the one thing that, that uh, was mentioned in his... Um, article on MLB.com written by the great Ann Rogers is that he's a he's a volunteer firefighter. Can I just say that is like literally the coolest thing ever? Like not even exaggerating. Firefighters are freaking awesome. My um one of my uncles is actually a firefighter. He he was actually like the chief of the fire department for a long time in the small town that um, he lives in. And so, yeah, he's like someone who's really, really well respected in his area. Uh, and he's just someone who's, you know, he's a, he's a guy you really want to look up to. He's just a great guy. And so, yeah, firefighters, awesome, really cool. I was so uh, automatically, I love Brian Sweeney. I respect this guy a lot. Um, so hopefully whatever was happening, whatever he was cooking in Cleveland, he'll be able to bring that over to Kansas City. Whether that means, you know, turning things around with the pitchers we have right now or just getting completely brand new pitchers that he will, you know, assist in developing from the ground up. Whatever it is, but I'm pretty happy with the management choices overall. I like the Quatrero hiring. I like the Hoover hiring. And I like the Sweeney hiring. So... Overall, this has been, in, in terms of staffing, this has been a pretty awesome offseason for the Royals. Not going to lie. I feel like they've more or less done everything right. There was also another thing that I almost forgot to mention. I forgot to write this down on the list of things that I need to talk about. But the uh, there, was a, there was a bit of a reorganization in, uh, the, in on the minor league side. So... Basically, okay, let me pull this up. Okay, so Paul Gibson, who was basically the minor league pitching coordinator, he has been essentially, I don't know what you want to call this, but his new role is now going is now listed as Senior Director of Pitching Performance, but MLB.com mentions that he's going to be spending more time with the major league club. And then the uh, minor league... Stuff is going to be more to Mitch Stetter. I have no idea who this guy is. Uh, Nate Adcock, who is who was a scout last year, is going to be an assistant director of pitching performance um, with an emphasis on spring training planning and then the draft. And then uh, Justin Friedman will be the assistant manager of pitching performance focused on pitch design. I don't really know who like any of these guys are. I don't really know what they did previously. I have no idea what their qualifications are, but that is a very interesting thing that the Royals have done. And it's, you know, it's something I, I'm interested because it seems like it's something. Um, If JJ is saying, Hey, it's not like the, the guys who are in charge, who are, you know, doing necessarily a bad job is that maybe they're just not doing maybe they're doing too much or maybe their talents are being aren't being properly utilized because he does speak pretty highly of Paul Gibson despite how poor the minor league pitching was for the Royals last year I don't know but maybe that's why he's moving away from the minor leagues and going more to the major leagues maybe he's 
largely responsible, or at least somewhat responsible, for the development of Brady Singer last year. Because Brady Singer is the guy who, you know, we had troubles with in the major leagues. Then he gets sent down to AAA for like one week, and then is suddenly an amazing pitcher. So if he had something to do with that, then yeah, maybe he should stay in the major leagues. Maybe he should watch these guys who are struggling at the big league levels, but still have pretty young careers. And the thing that I like most about this is just hearing that we have a guy focused on pitch design, because that seems to be something that the Royals have no concept of. <laughs> that's a, that's one thing that the Royals just do not really uh, have much of. I don't know if that means that we just never had a guy focused on pitch design or anything like that, but I at least like that there is more of an emphasis on that because that's something that, yeah, the Royals just have not been able to, they have not been able to develop pitch shape or anything like that. It's like guys just show up to the organization with what they already have and then they're just stuck with that for the rest of their career. They can't really be made to try something else. They can't really be made to change the way they they pitch, the way their pitches are, or anything like that. So, yeah, I'm interested in this sort of a reorganization, this little shuffling around that, we, that we're seeing in the uh, minor league pitching development. Uh, department. And there are still other major league roles that we still have to fill out. There's a bullpen coach that we need to get to. I didn't even realize that was something that was vacant. Uh, an assistant pitching coach is going to be needed for, for, uh, for, for Sweeney. Uh, there, you know, the, the hitting court coach that we, you know, Mike Tosar leaving his role is going to need to be filled. So there's a lot of stuff that the front office has to do. And, we're we're probably not going to be able to hear too much of it because you know it's those it's like the further down the ladder you go in baseball staffing it's like the less you know about it, unless you really work within the organization unfortunately i do not i'm sorry i'm just a guy on the internet with a microphone but i am interested in seeing what the royals do with their staffing because it is good to see that they're kind of overhauling this because uh it's been an issue now, with that out of the way, let's talk about some roster updates because there are a few cuts that the Royals have made um, in the past month or so where they've removed some guys from the 40-man roster and, you know, essentially removed them in, entirely from the organization. There, there are some that they removed from the 40-man roster but then brought back just on minor league deals. I don't even really remember who they were. I don't even think they were guys I had heard of, so not going to talk about those. Instead... We do need to talk about Luke Weaver. Luke Weaver's gone. He was waived, and then for some reason, the Seattle Mariners picked him up. Why they would do that, I have no idea. But hey, the Mariners were a postseason team last year. So who am I to judge them? Who am I to challenge them on their decision making? Maybe they know something we don't, and we're just idiots. Which, you know, I could maybe in some way believe because like when the, that trade was made, I was thinking, Hey, look in, in the past, the Royals have been able to redevelop some struggling pitchers who have been around for a few years. That could happen with Luke Weaver. Did it happen? No, but maybe if, if suddenly he, he, he reemerges in Seattle and he's a really, really good guy, maybe we can let Dayton Moore off the hook a little bit for that one. Maybe he really did know something. But I, I doubt that's 
gonna happen. And even if even if he, even if Luke Weaver does succeed in Seattle, I doubt people are gonna uh look reflect upon it uh positively for the Royals. If anything, it's just gonna confirm more that Kyle Eldred was really really bad at his job. But someone that I'm a little more um optimistic about is Tyler Zuber. The Zubs. He was DFA'd and he uh was uh, I think also claimed off of waivers. I think it was the Diamondbacks. Yes, it was the Arizona Diamondbacks, which is where where Luke Weaver was. How interesting. Um I'm going to be honest. I am someone who was a bit of a defender for Tyler Zuber. He's someone that I would, you know, defend in game threads on the Royals subreddit. And then every time he he blew up, he gave up a home run or whatever, people would just be, people would just let me have it. They would just rip into me like, like, Lux, you freaking idiot. Tyler Zuber sucks. Like, you, you're, you keep trying to hype us up for this guy and he sucks every single time. You look like a big, du- big, dumb dummy. And, uh, uh. It's sad. It's it's sad and it hurts. Itai. Itai. But, uh, yeah. Zuber is someone I was positive about, though. I think he had Tommy John surgery and was therefore unable to pitch last year. So maybe a guy coming up on his third year or, or so, or even his second year. I guess that makes sense that the Royals would want to cut him. Especially since he hasn't had much success so far. He's someone that, you know... I I still see the the positives about him. I still see the high highs with him. He has some absolutely nasty stuff. Problem is, like no control whatsoever. That has been his uh his weakness. So there is maybe some work to be done with this guy. I can kind of understand why the Royals would not want to keep him around. Sorry for that pop. Um, I can understand why the Royals wouldn't want to keep him around for, you know, longer than they already have. He's already been here for two years, plus one because of the injury year. The Royals are probably just like, okay, what's the upside for this guy? Is it worth it? Probably not. Might as well get rid of him. So uh, best of luck to Tyler Zuber. I still think that he is someone who can be an effective reliever for someone. Maybe it'll be for the Diamondbacks in 2023. And another DFA that was, I believe, I don't actually know if he was picked up by someone. I think he might just be a a minor league free agent right now. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's been uh, picked up by any team yet. It's Sebastian Rivero, who is basically the Royals' third catcher, or was the Royals' third catcher. He played a little bit. Uh, this season, he also played a little bit last season, actually played 17 games both seasons, which is funny. I kind of thought he uh, had been around for, I, I not, not that he had been around for longer. I thought he'd played more than that, but yeah, it, it is what it is, I guess. And um, I don't know if Sebastian Rivera is really worth keeping around because he hasn't shown any ability to hit. Really, and maybe he just hasn't had enough time to uh, to uh, play or so. But I don't know. It's like the dude has a 700 OPS in the minors at best, and even as a third catcher, you might want a little more offensive output than what he's shown. Uh, yeah, this season he posted an OPS plus of seven. 
se seven, ju just seven, a single, a single digit number. Granted, he only had 29 plate appearances, but still, it's like the complete lack of results is maybe a little bit unsettling. Still, though, I wonder if that's if, if it's if it was really necessary to DFA him because I just don't know what else we're going to do at the catcher position. Like, what other backups do we have? I guess Freddie Fermin, if the Royals think that's going to work out. But Freddie Fermin is already 28 years old, and I don't think he's shown any more ability to hit than Rivero. So, I, I'm not sure about that, dude. I think may, maybe the Royals aren't really going to have much. Maybe Freddie Fermin will be the third catcher, and... The Royals are going to have Salvi as their main catcher and then MJ Melendez as their backup. Maybe that's what they're going to have as well. Um, that's kind of what I think this decision is leaning towards. MJ Melendez being the backup catcher for the Royals, which I've been very much against because I don't think MJ's ceiling as a defensive catcher is very high. I think that he can be average at best. At the catcher position. And for him to even get there, he needs a lot of work done. Because this season, he has been terrible behind the plate. I'm not really saying that to like lay into him because I sympathize with his struggle. He's someone who's been a catcher his entire life. And now, suddenly at the major league level, the Royals are having him play left field. Like, they're, they're having him do the complete opposite of what he was trained to do. So I don't under, I, I don't blame him for not being great at catcher right now. But I don't think that he's going to be that great at catcher even with some more seasoning. Even if they, you know, keep him out of left field, keep him out of every other position and just say, hey, just, just work on catching. Just work on catching full-time and you'll be a full-time catcher someday. I just don't know if that's the right way to go about this because – even if the Royals do see MJ as the catcher of the future, when is that even going to happen? Salvador Perez is not going anywhere. He, he has the the franchise's highest ever contract. It's going to go on for three more years. At least two of them, he's going to be the main catcher. Like maybe in the fourth year of this extension, he'll be just a DH more often than not. But I think Salvi is going to be the catcher for the Royals for, the, for a while. So, are we still really going to try training MJ to eventually take over? I just don't think that's very smart. Might as well just say, hey, you hit a lot better than, than you catch. So, go play left field, which is not that important of a defensive position. Sorry, sorry Alex. Um, and then just work on that. And then continue working on your hitting. Because at catcher, you're going to get like, I don't know, what? 550 plate appearances as opposed to an everyday left fielder who's going to get 650 or so. You're, you're going to get 100 less if you play as catcher because you're going to be you're going to be substituted out much more often. You're going to have much many more days off than most other players. And that's why I want MJ in left field as opposed to catcher because his bat is more valuable than his glove. I I really stand by this. I'm very adamant about this. Now, everything that's happened, it doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, the Royals have to have MJ as their catcher. They could just maybe bring someone else in as, you know, just some random backup guy and just, you know, have that be the case. 
for you know the 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 future the, the next couple of years and then they you know have mj in left field or whatever they do what i what i suggest but i don't know it's just I, I just think DFAing Sebastian Rivera was a kind of questionable move that kind of leans into MJ as a catcher more than a left fielder. So I don't know, dude. I don't know. I think it's strange, but I guess it's nice that the Royals have options still. It's not completely set in stone. But you know what is set in stone? Ryan O'Hearn is back! Why aren't you guys clapping with me? Come on, guys. Ryan O'Hearn. It's everyone's favorite royal. He's back. <laughs> the royals have tendered Ryan O'Hearn a contract. A major league contract. <laughs> How... How is this possible? How is this real life, dude? It, this is, like, it's so hard to even comprehend this. Because, look, I thought there was a 100% chance he was getting cut this offseason. 100% chance. Last year in 2021, after 2021, I thought it was a 99% chance. And yet, he is still here. He has defied all odds, all logic. He is still going to be on the Kansas City Royals. That is just unbelievable, dude. I mean, look, I, I thought it was a 100% chance because I thought the only reason why he was still with the Royals is because he was one of Dayton's friends. You know, he was someone that Dayton more liked Dayton Moore saw something in him and would stick with him to the bitter end. But now Dayton Moore is gone. Like, we've removed the engine of the Kansas City Royals that have that have caused them to do these very, very weird, questionable things. And yet, a very, very weird and questionable thing happened anyway. Ryan O'Hearn is still here. I don't, I don't know, dude. And, and look, I know Ryan O'Hearn... He's probably not listening to this podcast, but I still, even if he is, I understand he doesn't like being criticized. He doesn't like people going on Twitter and saying, you suck. And I don't blame him. No one should have to put up with that. All right. No one should. Have, look, guys, no matter how you feel about Ryan O'Hearn, don't, don't be mad at him. He's not the one who's deciding to stay. I mean, I guess he kind of is. I mean, he is the one who's signing a contract, but what, what, what? T tell me that you wouldn't sign a contract worth one and a half million dollars to, you know, just continue doing what you've been doing for the last five years. Tell me you wouldn't do that. All right. If anything, I, th I think the people who are mad at Ryan O'Hearn are just jealous that <laughs> he, he gets to do something that we all want to do, which is, I guess, sit around for long periods of time and make a lot of money doing so. Because not only did I – not only are Ryan O'Hearn's abilities very questionable, but the Royals had hardly even played him in the second half of the season. Like, after the All-Star break – Let's, let me uh, look this up. After the All-Star break, he had 74 plate appearances. 74. That is a sample size. This is July 14th to October 4th. 70. 
four plate appearances. Like, he didn't even play half a season. He didn't play, like, a quarter of a... He played, like, 10% of a season. And the Royals have decided to give him a contract for some reason. Again, I guess to continue fulfilling that role, be a guy that comes off the bench once every five days or so, I'm not sure, dude. I, maybe that is the maybe that is what they're trying to do, but I feel like that is really weird and kind of unnecessary. Like, you can't manage your roster better than that. I mean, I've said this before, but, you know, better Ryan O'Hearn getting that little plate appearances than anyone else that needs him, like Nick Prado, right? But I just think that it's, like, his role on the team is is so insignificant. It's like, why even bother using this roster spot? I really don't get it, dude. I will just try to see what the Royals see. And by doing that, I'm going to go on Baseball Savant and tell you that in 2022, Ryan O'Hearn's expected batting average was 271, and his expected slugging was 425. For comparison, his actual batting average was 239. His actual slugging was 321. So maybe the Royals are looking at the expected numbers and they're, and they're thinking, hey, this guy is getting really unlucky. The expected stats say that he is due for huge improvements. That's like the best that I can do to reason with this. That is the best I can do to try and see what the Royals see. Because clearly the Royals see something in Ryan O'Hearn. Like I said, we got a, we got rid of the main number one bad decision maker in the Royals. And so far, I have had nothing to complain about with J.J. Piccolo. Like, maybe some concerns or nitpicks like when he was talking about Maybe not spending so much in free agency this season. Kind of unfortunate. But other than that, you know, firing Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred. W. Getting Quatrero. W. The bench coach. The pitching coach. W. W. You know, like, he, he has been flawless so far. And then he decides to bring back Ryan O'Hearn. I don't understand that. That is just very, very weird. But maybe the Royals are really banking on him improving with the fact that the, the shift is going to be banned next year. So next year is going to be an interesting year where hitting is expected to be on the rise. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that, that like that has to be it. That has to be the one reason why the Royals would want to uh, bring back Ryan O'Hearn. Just looking at those expected stats because they, they are way better than they have been in the past. Like Ryan O'Hearn's career, Expected batting average has been like 235, but last year was 271. So, I don't know, man. Look, it brings me no joy to criticize the Royals and, and be right about it. it. It brings me no joy to see them fail. So, when Ryan O'Hearn is on the Royals, I'm going to cheer him on. I'm going to root for him. I hope he does well. I would love it if Ryan O'Hearn proved all of us wrong. And he was like, see... You guys see, I had it in me all along. I could be a good hitter, even if it took him six years. <laughs> but it, it is what it is. He's, he's here. I want him to succeed because if he succeeds, then the Royals are a better team because of it. That's all I can really say. So 
No hard feelings to the guy. I wish him the best. We're just going to have to live with this. I'm not the one who made the decision. Neither is he, really. This is just the hand that we are dealt. Oh, yeah. And also, Mondesi's back. Mondesi got a contract, so he's back. I have no strong opinions about this. Moving on. All right. Now, next topic is the draft lottery. So, as part of the new collective bargaining agreement that the Players Association and owners agreed upon last year, kind of one of the reasons why, you know, we had a lockout for a week or so. Well, actually, the lockout was a lot longer than that, but man, why, the, why the season was delayed by a week. Um, one of the outcomes of that, of that is that we have a draft lottery now. So, baseball understands that its competition is very, very um, finicky, I guess, where, you know, the, the big market teams, they spend as much money as they can and they win as many games as possible. And then there are the teams on the opposite end of the spectrum who just decide that they don't want to spend any money. They can just lose a bunch of games and then accumulate a bunch of talent and then have like a small two, three year window where they're actually pretty good, like the Cincinnati Reds did. And... um. I guess one way to counteract that is by implementing a draft lottery, where no longer are the top 10 picks in the MLB draft going to be decided by the win and loss record. Instead, the bottom, I think it's actually 12, I think the bottom 12 teams will all just be randomly assigned a draft pick. They'll all be put into a lottery. So you could potentially be the 12th worst team in baseball, and then get the number one overall pick. It happens. It happens in other sports. NBA does a draft lottery, and it has helped some teams greatly in this way. So the Royals, even though they have the fifth worst pick, it just means they have the fifth best odds of getting the number one pick. And so the lottery came in, the, the results came in, the Royals are going to pick eighth. Oh. Well... That's wonderful. We pick eighth instead of fifth place for, uh, in, instead of, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a mess of a sentence. But yeah, we dropped three spots in the draft despite losing 97 games. Funny enough, the Twins and the Tigers are going to pick ahead of us. I think it was the Twins who were specifically the 12th place team. They end up picking fifth. They, so they were considered to be the big winners in the, uh, in the draft, the number one overall pick goes to the Pirates, who were going to pick second or third anyway. And I think the big loser is the A's, who I think were going to pick second and then went down to like ninth or something. I don't, I don't know where they are. It doesn't matter. Who cares about these teams? Point is, Royals picked eighth instead of fifth. Um, so that's unfortunate. Basically means we're in the same spot as the last two years, because last year we picked, what, ninth? I think, and then the year before we picked seventh, or maybe it was ninth again. It doesn't matter. Around there. Um. So yeah, unfortunate, but still get a top ten pick. We can still get a good prospect. You know, I'm happy with the picks that we've made in the last two years in the top ten. I like the Frank Mazzucato pick, and uh, I think he's shown some potential. And I predicted the Gavin Cross pick, so we can do that again. I just kind of question this whole 
idea of a draft lottery. It's like it's like putting a small band-aid on a large open gash. It it doesn't really fix the problem. Like I guess it's something, but I don't know. It's like seeing the pirates have the number one pick overall. It's like who is this helping? <laughs> like like what have we accomplished here? The pirates were one of the worst teams. The pirates the pirates are the team that many have criticized for being the least effortful in building their rosters and, you know, presenting their major league club. I went to a Pirates game this year. I actually went to their stadium. They churned, their roster was literally, they had, they had like at least three people that I had literally never heard of. And I asked Pirates fans who they are and they had never heard of them either. And now they have the number one overall pick. It's like, all right, great, I guess. I, I really don't think that this is going to help the parody of the sport. I don't think it's going to encourage teams to spend more. Cause again, that's like the, the reason why this is happening, right? It's so that teams don't intentionally tank for the number one overall pick. But like, you know, we're, we're saying the A's are the biggest losers of this draft lottery because they're going from second to sixth, like big whoop guys. This isn't, that's not going to make the Oakland athletics spend more money on their, on their roster. It's for, and especially when they've got the freaking Astros in their division who are paying like $250 million for their roster. It, 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 it's it's, it's kind of dumb. I think baseball needs way more um, strict systems in place for the draft lottery to really do its job at helping uh, – Helping the league's parity because I don't, I don't think this is going to help the the bottom feeder the bottom feeders spend more money. Okay, now we got to talk about a downtown stadium. So this is something that has been rumored or even just outright implied for the last few years. Honestly, this is a rumor that I've been hearing since I think 2019 or even like early 2020. Basically, since John Sherman took over the team. It has been uh, spread around that they that the ownership wants a new stadium, that they want a downtown stadium in Kansas City. And finally, they have made an actual statement about it. Three weeks ago, they made a true and actual statement. They, they posted it out there for all, for all the public. They're like, hey, Kansas City, this is what we want to do. This is kind of what it's going to take. To get it done, this is our plan, this is our vision, this is what we want. And so uh, I guess I'll recite the uh, the letter, the open letter from the Royals chairman and CEO, John Sherman. I'd like to share our latest thinking and criteria as we continue our exploration with you. Wherever we play baseball, we, we will seek our efforts that result in real and measurable community impact, economic growth, and an enhanced quality of life for the citizens of our region with an emphasis on historically underrepresented mem members of our community. Our vision is to not just build a facility that, th that does justice to the spirit of the K, we want to construct a world-class experience, a new ballpark district, and all that comes with it, one that is woven into the fabric of our city, can host events and concerts, and boosts our local economy. We also envision incorporating our Kansas City fountains, the Royals crown, and our team's rich traditions and history in a new ballpark district. The proposed ballpark district would become a new home for Royals fans far and wide, both, in, both inside a state-of-the-art ballpark and in the revitalized surrounding area. 
we will marry the traditions of the K with a better experience for our fans. With a mixture of public and private investment, including our own invest intention to invest hundreds of millions of dollars directly into the ballpark and the ballpark district, the long-term vision remains a work in progress. We envision local restaurants and shops, office spaces, hotels, and a variety of housing opportunities accessible for Kansas Cityans from all walks of life. Affordable housing options will be important to our, our efforts. We would also work closely with our local transportation leaders to ensure public transportation options accommodate a new ballpark district. Going forward with this process would in, result in, a, in the largest public-private development project in Kansas City history, expected to be $2 billion as currently envisioned. Construction of this new ballpark district could create 20,000 jobs, $1.4 billion in labor income, and an estimated $2.8 billion in economic output, as well as spur additional adjacent investment. We anticipate that the inaugural year of the new ballpark will drive approximately $185 million more in regional economic output than the K does today. Greater regional visitation will sustain more than 600 new jobs and spending at the new ballpark district and across the region will drive more than $60 million in new tax revenue over the first decade. A new ballpark can also spur meaningful new investment around it. New development around the ballpark could attract 2,200 on-site jobs with employment representing $200 million in annual labor income and more than $500 million in, in annual economic output. So that is the full statement that was put out oh that's not even the full statement that was put out that was just actually just one part of uh, the expert uh, the actual statement is actually probably longer than that i am just going to link you the tweet where uh, you can read this for yourself because it's you know lengthy but basically it, it kind of the other part of it kind of goes into you know talking about the challenges that would come with uh, making a new ballpark and also how it's going to get done, basically. Um, one very important piece of this is that it, it's kind of implying that public taxpayer money is not really going to be used to build this new ballpark. I mean, it, it, it would, but it wouldn't increase taxes to the people in the Jackson County area, which I think is the number one concern people have with a new ballpark. And that's kind of what I've been saying as well. It's like, if you wanted ballpark, if you, if, if these guys want a new ballpark so badly, they should pay for it themselves. No one is asking for the K to be torn down. And, uh, the, 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 these public funded stadiums, these publicly funded stadiums, they really turn out to be these uh kind of uh, civil disasters, I guess. Like the Braves ballpark did not go over well. I don't think the Rangers ballpark went over well with the public. The Marlins park didn't go over well. It's like the, these stadiums that get built with public funds, it's like they, they don't turn out what people want them to be. But this statement does um, highlight what is wanted with with Kauffman Stadium. It basically talks about not just building a new stadium, but building an area around it where there are going to be, you know, things to do in 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 the region around the ballpark. Because the way Kauffman is now, Kauffman is an island. You go there to watch a baseball game and then you leave and drive somewhere else. Like that's the only thing you can do 
at Kauffman Stadium. And so the main goal of building a new stadium is to essentially eliminate that. It's to put a, put a stadium in a part of the city where people can actually go and engage with local culture aside from, you know, just going out to see a baseball game and then driving home. Or, or, you know, driving miles away somewhere else to do something else, which is, you know, what we're all doing right now. And I'm personally with them in this idea that we need a stadium that's more connected to the city. Because that's, you know, something that I've kind of, uh, you know, not been super happy with having to deal with here. You know, just not having anything anywhere to go after a baseball game. And now that I have gone to several other stadiums i i i went around to a few different uh stadiums this year uh i think pretty much all of them were downtown or somewhere thereabouts yeah and let me tell you i i think we're missing out i really do think that we're missing out on these city districts that have the the ball the ballpark and other things around it there's a lot that goes on in these areas and they're very they're they're great they're fun they're lively imagine having this very lived in atmosphere in the city, along with the atmosphere we already have at Kaufman. Because I, I will say this, Kaufman is terrific. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. When I'm there, I'm often, at, I'm often by myself, or if, even, if, if, even if I'm with other people, I will make time for myself to just go into the outfield, sit, stand behind the Fallons, and just watch some baseball. And in in that in that environment i'm really in my element i feel the most content the most relaxed it's a truly beautiful experience and i don't want that to go away i'm kind of of two minds of a new downtown stadium i think that kaufman can be improved upon even if that means essentially tearing it down and putting it somewhere else my my ideal vision is that they cut the stadium out of the ground and then just airdrop it somewhere else, but we know that's not possible, unfortunately. I don't want them to change the stadium, basically. I do not want Kaufman Stadium to be changed, but they do need to change what's around it. And that's kind of where that $2 billion price tag is coming in, because people are like wondering, like, like... If it, if it, okay, so if we're going to talk about, you know, keeping Kaufman where it is, they still want to have that city block, essentially, around it. You know, they don't just want to have this baseball stadium that's quite literally in the middle of nowhere. They want to put a bunch of stuff around it, which is where that $2 billion price tag comes from. Even if they want to, you know, even if we're just going to say, okay, we're not going to move Kaufman, we're going to keep the baseball stadium as it, as it is. It, it it will need some improvements. It will need a little bit of renovations. But then it's going to cost more to have stuff around it. They're going to have to put in so much over there, including public transportation. How do you even get there? Like how like at least in the city, you can kind of already see a little bit um, of, of a way of getting to and from the place with the streetcar, which they are very much expanding. You know, there are way, there are easier options to get around in the city, but getting to and from Kaufman is, it's, 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 if you don't have a car, good luck, basically. So, yeah, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm open-minded about it. That's what I want to, um, 
That's basically my stance on it. I'm open-minded. I really love Kaufman, but I'm open to the idea of building a new stadium. But if they build the new stadium, it has to be right. That's the that that might be the biggest challenge of all, honestly. Like they have to get it exactly right. Because even though Kaufman is quite old at this point, and if we don't build it, like I said, we are going to need to renovate it. You can say, well, we just renovated it like 13 years ago. Yeah, but the, the lease expires in 2030, and that's basically where they want this, when they want this to happen, in 2030. So it's going to be 20 years since we last renovated it at that point, so... Um, but even then... It's not like even if some renovations are needed, we're still not really going to need a new stadium. Kind of like how the Rangers needed a new stadium. How like the, the, the Braves and the Marlins needed new stadiums. How like the Rays and the A's right now need new stadiums. We're not like these guys. We have a perfectly functional and excellent ballpark. It just is in the middle of nowhere. That's what we want to change. So... The artistic rendering that they gave us, I'm not sure if that's really a serious thing. I kind of like to believe they just hired an artist to be like, hey, just just design something. Just design a ballpark that could kind of resemble a Royal Stadium in a downtown setting. That's basically it. Um, so I'm not really going to comment too much about the, the the rendering that they gave, the image, the dream image that they gave us. Um, I, I'll say I don't like it. It's not very good, but that can very well change. It's not a final – it's not like, hey, here's exactly what we want the stadium to look like. Don't you guys love it? It's like that's just a random idea. It seems there's going to be a, a city hall meeting next week that's open to the public. I'm debating – going there this is going to be of course about the new stadium john sherman's going to be there along with uh, what they said an undisclosed architecture firm it it's je dunn i feel like everyone would know that they're on the they're in the ownership groups so i don't know why they need to make it undisclosed unless it's not and i'm wrong but that would be kind of surprising and then uh some other guys i guess who will uh i guess discuss the financials or whatever because you know that is a big um issue that comes with this but yeah um it, 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 it will be interesting to see what uh discussions come from that uh town hall meeting like i said kind of debating going to it kind of uh thinking about it because it is on a night off for me but even still it's during the day i sleep during the day if, if only they held it at a reasonable time like 3 a.m what like when i'm actually awake then i would then then, then there'd be no question i would absolutely go to that but uh i don't know man in any case, this will be something that we'll probably talk about a lot more in the future, but for right now, I'm open-minded about it, and I at least appreciate that they finally made it a known statement, that they're like, we, they're, they finally came out and said, we absolutely, definitely want to build a new ballpark, as opposed to, you know, the past couple of years, where it's just been kind of a rumor. All right, we are running past the hour mark, but I still want to talk about a couple of things. So, we are in the free agent season, and that also means we're in extension season. Well, technically, extensions can happen at any point. Extensions can happen in the middle of the regular season. That's that's fine. But 
lots of Royals fans and media personnel are talking about extending players that are currently on the Royals roster. And so I would like to give my thoughts on that. Basically, my ideas for who should be extended, for how long, for how much money. So here is the list of hitters that I think the Royals should extend right now. And that concludes my list. <laughs> yes, I um, I don't want to extend any hitters right now. I actually don't want to extend anybody on this roster except for one guy, Brady Singer. We should extend Brady Singer. We should do that right now. I think that's a very good idea. I don't think it's a good idea to extend anybody else. Literally no one else. And I'm I'm serious about this, guys. And I don't say this, look. I don't say this to be mean. I'm not saying this to be like a, a an edgelord, a contrarian, or whatever. This is not me trying to take anything away from people. Well, I guess it could be taken that way. I guess it kind of is. But it's not me saying like, hey, these guys suck. And therefore, they're not worthy of being extended. My take on this, my philosophy with this is that we shouldn't extend anybody that doesn't have some kind of proven track record of success so far so lots of people say hey let's extend bobby witt jr why why should we extend bobby witt jr right now i mean i i understand why you would want that because bobby witt jr we expect to be an incredible baseball player do i believe that will happen yes but would i like to see that happen before extending him Yes, I don't think that Bobby is really deserving of, a, of, a, of an extension based on his rookie season. I know that it's it's easy to look at some other teams and say, hey, look, look at what, what other teams are doing. Look at the Mariners. They just extended J-Rod. They gave Julio Rodriguez like a, a $13 million extension. $13 million extension. No, they gave him a 13-year extension, basically. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez had a six-war season. <laughs> he was an all-star. He helped his team go to the postseason. He was the best player on their team. Bobby Wood Jr., look, Bobby didn't have a bad season. And th this is where I have to re really reiterate. I'm not trying to take away from Bobby Wood Jr. I'm very, very happy with Bobby Wood Jr. I am not even slightly disappointed with Bobby Wood Jr. And I, and I mean this with complete sincerity. No sarcasm whatsoever. I said at the beginning of the year, if Bobby Wood Jr. puts up a two-war season, I'll be happy. And that's what he did. If you go on Fanagraphs War, don't, don't, look at, don't look at baseball reference war, okay? Look, look at Fanagraphs War. It says 2.3, okay? So he did that. I'm happy with that. I'm really, really happy with that. But is that worth giving him, like, a 10-year extension for $200 million? I mean, maybe if we're if maybe if we were the Astros who can just spend as much money as they feel like, I guess, but we're not. We're the Royals who we're we're constantly talking about not having a lot of spending power. And you want to give twenty million dollars a year to someone who's barely gotten their feet wet in the majors, essentially. I personally really disagree with that. I really I mean and look, I again I understand the logic behind it. I'm not I'm not saying anybody who's 
su- suggesting that we should extend Bobby is a freaking idiot and their opinion is invalid. Because I understand that the expectation is that Bobby is going to get a lot better to the point where he's probably going to be an MVP candidate in the near future. I, I agree with that. And I'm looking forward to that. But I actually want to see that happen first, or at least want to see him get somewhat close to that. I really want to look at Bobby Wood Jr. and have the confidence that this is, without a doubt, one of baseball's top players before we give him an extension that is worth, uh, uh, that is uh, deserving of a top player, essentially. So far, I don't think he's there yet. And I would say the same for every single player in the lineup so far. MJ Melendez, who I think very highly of as an offensive player. I think that he should be moved to a corner outfield spot because that will simply give him more at-bats. I think that he can hit. I mean, I know his stats aren't like amazing, but still, I think that he has a great approach. He takes walks well. He can hit the crap out of the ball. He's not going to have a a great batting average, but he will absolutely give you some home runs. He'll hit 230 with 40 home runs. I think he can do that. I really do. But I'd like to see him do that before giving him a a salary um, befitting of someone who hits 40 home runs a season. Sorry, balked on my words right there. Do not do a balk, please. And another one that a lot of people are saying we should extend is Vinny Pasquantino. And Vinny, I would say Vinny makes the most sense for an extension. Because the kind of skill set that Vinny has demonstrated is excellent. And there is a lot of reason to believe that Vinny is going to be genuinely one of the best hitters in baseball next season. Fangraphs did their projections not too long ago. You can go on Fangraphs, go on projections, look at the steamer projections. And according to this list, if you sort by work plus or weighted runs created plus, it says that Vinny Pasquantino is going to have 141 work plus next season. That's what it, that's what the projection for Vinny Pasquantino is. That is to say, this system is is projecting Vinny Pasquantino to be at least 40% better than the league average hitter and one of the top 20 hitters in baseball. I, I'm not joking when I say that. They say that Vinny, hang on, okay. So it's according to the work plus Juan Soto, number one, Tatis Jr., number two, Jordan Alvarez, number three, Vladdy Jr., number four, Aaron Judge, number five, Kyle Tucker, number six, Mike Trout, number seven, Freddie Freeman, number eight, Pete Alonso, number nine, Julio Rodriguez, number 10, Alejandro Kirk, number 11, Vinny Pasquantino, number 12, above Bryce Harper, Paul Goldschmidt, Alex Bregman, Mookie Betts, Yanni Diaz, Acuna Jr., Austin Riley, Shohei Otani, Wander Franco, those, these are the names directly underneath him, which is not even, we're not even getting to all the guys that are further down. All right, that is how good Vinny Pasquantino can be already. So it makes the most sense to extend him, and I love Vinny. I, I think Vinny can be a, a mainstay in the league for a long time. He he walked more than he struck out last year. He only played 72 games, which is why I think he's a very under-the-radar kind of guy right now. 
but he walked more than he struck out and he hit 295 with 10 home runs. So, yeah, it, it makes sense that the projections are going sky high for this dude. And we're seeing him in the social media sphere a lot more. It seems like the media guys really love him. He loves being a part of it. He seems to be, you know, the guy that everyone in the clubhouse really enjoys hanging out with. He's a big clubhouse guy. So, Vinny, he's the full package as a player. He's someone who's going to play well, and you're ju- you're going to enjoy him when he's off the field as well. So, yeah, a, a, a big extension for, for Vinny makes a lot of sense. Personally, I still wouldn't do it because I want him to play a full season first. That's what I want. I want Vinny Pasquantino to play a full season of baseball before we actually give him an extension. And that goes with everyone else on in the Royals lineup. That's just personally how I feel about this. It's not to say that I think these guys suck or that they're not as good as we think they are. I just want to see them prove themselves, essentially. That's all. I kind of say this like a, like it's really forceful. Like, that's all, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be mad. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm tired, guys. It's a long podcast, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm just, I'm just messing around. But that is how I feel about it. I don't think that we should give an extension to any player that hasn't played a full season of baseball yet. And if they have played a full season of baseball, it wasn't like a, you know, an amazing all-star caliber season yet. So that's personally how I feel right now, which is why I think Brady Singer is more than deserving of an extension. And I've talked about this in the past. So I, I dug up my old proposal for a Brady Singer extension because I do think the Royals should do this. They should extend Brady Singer this offseason. And I'm going to bring back my proposition. After a sip of water. Brady Singer, six years, $70 million. With a, with a, with a seventh year option worth $20 million, which would event Which would ultimately bring it to $90 million. Or... I'm trying to figure out how options work because I'm freaking stupid. I think it would actually be more like 85. Um, so it would be four years. Sorry. <laughs> not four years. Four million dollars next year. Seven and a half million in 2024. Ten and a half million in 2025. Thirteen million in 2026. Fifteen million in 2027. Fifteen million again in 2028. And then a team option for 2020. For 20 million in 2029 with a $5 million buyout. So if we decide to decline the option, he gets $5 million, basically. Um, So that's what I think of that. That's my proposition for Brady Singer. And funny enough, we actually have a little bit of a a comp for this because there is a little bit, something a little bit similar that actually did happen, an extension kind of similar to that uh, over on the National League with Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider, he came into the league. Um, I feel like it was in the middle of the season, but he uh, he pitched 131 innings, 2.67 ERA. Uh, he had 202 strikeouts, the fastest to ever reach 200 strikeouts. I think it was like actually, like in terms of strikeouts, like the best de- debut season we've ever had, one of the best seasons we've ever had. 
um, in, in terms of like strikeouts per nine. Just an absolutely insane bonker season. So the Braves extended this guy for six years, $75 million. Now, keep in mind, this guy, I, I think he was essentially this, this. I think that was essentially his first year. So, yeah. So they basically extended him for one year. They're, they're buying out one year of free agency, and then they have a, t- a team option after that. So it's potentially two years. With Brady Singer, um, technically last year was only his second season in the majors because his time in the minor leagues actually kind of uh, wiped out a year of service time. So this extension, extending him for six years would buy out two years of free agency, potentially three if that option is picked up. And it's kind of because of that, uh, the timing of the minor league assignment Maybe that's why I'm being a little bit generous with the dollars. Maybe some people will say a 70 year, 70 million is a little much, but I don't know. Personally, I, I don't know. I just feel like this is right. Whether it's market value or whatever, I, I just kind of put this, put this out there and I'm like, this, this seems right to me. This seems fair to me. Maybe it's a little bit of an overpay, but you know what? Maybe that's what we have to do. Maybe that's what we have to do to keep good pitchers in the Royals organization because they're hard to come by, it seems. And I'm really high on Brady Singer. I'm really, really optimistic about this guy's future because his the, his 2021 was absolutely fantastic. And it's not just because he, you know, pitched better overall. Well, obviously it is, but it's like it's because of those starts when he was just okay. Though that's why that's what makes me really attached to Brady Singer. That's what makes me really optimistic about him. So like the starts where he would give up four runs in six innings, or he'd walk five batters in six innings, but still only give up two or three runs. This the starts when he didn't have his best stuff, but still was able to get through the game and and still do his job. Those are the kind of things like that. Those are the games that made me really think Brady Singer is like the real deal. Because what I think is, because when when he's at his best, okay, we know what he's capable of. And we've always known what he's capable of. We've seen it. We saw it in 2020 when he came up. We even saw it in 2021 when he had a bad season. He still had some absolutely fantastic starts. So in 2022, once again, we know how good he is when he's pitching at his best. When he is at 100% full power. We know Brady Singer is an amazing pitcher. What happens when he's not at full power, though? That's what I think uh, determines how good a pitcher really is. This is this is why I'm not really a fan of Garrett Cole. I, I say as if this is a well-known fact, but I'm not a big fan of Garrett Cole. Because he is a guy, when, when he's at 100%, he's an amazing pitcher. He's one of the best pitchers you'll ever watch. When he is not at 100%, if he's at like 90%, he becomes terrible. Like, Garrett Cole, if something slightly inconveniences him or something is just slightly wrong, he just completely unravels, which I think is why he's well-known to be bad in really uh, high-leverage games, like in postseason games and stuff like that, you know, when it really matters. Because I just think that if he's not at 100%, he's just not a very good pitcher. And that's why I'm not very optimistic about his future. But with Brady Singer... In 2022, when he wasn't at 100%, if he was only at 90%, 80%, he was still effective. He was still good. And that's why 
I'm super optimistic about him, super optimistic about his future. I think that he's going to get even better. I think that he's going to be a Cy Young finalist in the near future, maybe even next season. And so that's why I would say six years, 70 million right now. I think that's fair. I think that's fair for both parties. Maybe it'll seem like an overpay right now, but it could seem like an underpay in the near future and we'll all be happy for it. Or, you know, we'll have more seasons like 2021 where he sucks and it's just like, okay, why did we why did we give him this extension? It's like Danny Duffy all over again. We gave him one good, he had one good season and then we gave him an extension and then he sucked. But Danny Duffy, even in 2016, had signs that he wasn't uh, quite so good. He, he, he The final month of the season, his velocity dropped. Could, it was kind of a red flag, but we were optimistic. But I'm more optimistic about Dan, about Brady Singer right now than I was about Danny Duffy in 2016. Even though Danny Duffy's my favorite royal, I love Danny Duffy. Ah, just shame it didn't work out. But in any case, that's what I think about extensions for Royals players. Brady Singer, six years, 70 million with an option afterwards. Nothing to anybody else. Everyone... Just, just just do better and then we'll revisit next year see this is another thing that i uh, that makes me want to say like this isn't me trying to be mean or anything most of these guys that we're talking about were in year zero last year like Vinny pasquantino his 2021 season is 2020 2022 sorry that's his year zero season he's here for six more years Based on the, how service time works. Same with MJ Melendez. Same with most of these other guys. Bobby Wood Jr. is the only one. He had a full season. He had a full 162 game season, essentially. So, these guys, I don't think there's any rush in extending them right now. I don't think we have to. I think that we're... I think that people are just kind of being easily swayed by looking at other players on other teams who probably had much better seasons, and they're saying, hey, look, they got an extension. Why can't the Royals do that? Because the Royals aren't there yet. They lost 97 games last year. They uh, Most of the guys that we're talking about getting extensions put up 1-2 to two war. Let's just raise the bar a little bit. And once we get there, once we're absolutely sure that they are worthy, then we can do that. Go crazy. We'll give them as much money as they want. That's what I like to think anyway. And then to just wrap this up, real quick, free agent speculation. It's happening. The free agent market is underway. Winter meetings are underway. What have the Royals done about that? Nothing. Which is kind of to be expected. Um, and it's it's hard to get a grasp of like what the Royals really are going to do in free agency because I basically JJ Piccolo has said that they're not going to go crazy. Which is a little bit unfortunate because when John Sherman fired Dayton Moore, he seemed to imply that there was going to be some urgency just because he you no know, seemed he, he seemed like to be really tired of waiting for this team to get good. And I think that the the building blocks for making this team good are already here. We have Brady Singer, so we've got one good pitcher. We've got a lineup that was already somewhat dangerous, and I think it has every reason to improve. Vinny Pasquantino is going to get better. Bobby Wood Jr. is most likely going to get better. MJ and Nick Prado, uh, Drew Waters, who I'm also really uh, optimistic about. I think these guys are going to get better. Michael Massey is going to get better. So yeah, this lineup, this lineup is going to get better. 
And I think it can be one of the better lineups in baseball as soon as next year. So there is kind of a uh, some, something that the Royals have that can make them a pretty competent team. And it does make me think, like, why don't the Royals just go in and get a good pitcher in free agency? Like, why not? Why not be in the running for Carlos Rodon or Jameson Tyone? who's actually just been signed for, I think, four years, $68 million? Is that something we'd be comfortable with? Maybe not, but, I mean, still, I feel like the Royals should at least try and, you know, just be in those discussions. Maybe this isn't the right year for a free agency because the market's kind of going crazy right now because the lockout kind of messed things up. The lockout, the pandemic, messed up a lot of things, and now... It's been kind of said that there's going to be a huge shopping spree. There's going to be way more money thrown around this free agency than other years. Maybe the Royals aren't capable of competing with that. I kind of like to think that they actually are, but they're just going to say that they're not. So it is what it is, I suppose. Still, I would like to see someone other than Zach Greinke coming back to the Royals this season. I mean, I would like to see Zach Greinke come back. That's fine, but I want them to bring back someone else. Bring back someone who has a considerable floor and a pretty high ceiling as well. I think I thought Mike Clevenger was kind of that guy, and Mike Clevenger unfortunately went to the White Sox. Big shame. I I need my more. I need some long hair boys in, on this team. Okay, we've got Scott Barlow. We got Scott Barlow, but we need more. Noah Syndergaard would be my number one free agent at this point because I think Noah Syndergaard has the potential to get back to being the great pitcher he was before he got injured. Last year, he had an okay season. He had a very, 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 very average season. But you know what? At this point, the Royals might as well be in the in, get into a bidding war for an average pitcher like James and Tyone. Might do them some good. Because, I mean, if we can just get an average rotation put together then the lineup's going to the, the lineup's going to be better than average and there you go there's there's something right there i guess it really depends on where you see this team where this front office sees this team because personally i like to think that this 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 lineup is going to get a lot better real quick and i think that they should reinforce the pitching right now so that they're not f- completely fallen behind I mean, the pitching already is behind because, you know, we have seen positive development with the lineup and we just haven't seen that with the pitching yet. But if we're going to have one of the better offenses in baseball, I want the the pitching to not be like bottom five again. Even if there are some steps forward shown with Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich and others, you know, why not get a good pitcher in so that if you do have a good lineup, at the ready, you can actually put together a pretty good season, and therefore you won't have to be like, oh, look, we just wasted a good year out of Vinny Pasquantino and MJ Melendez because, you know, they did their jobs, but we didn't have any pitchers. I, I don't want that to happen. So I would like to go for at least a decent pitcher this offseason instead of just Zach Greinke, you know, but knowing the Royals is probably going to be just <laughs> Zach Greinke. Um, also, would be worth looking at some semi-broken pieces that we could trade for in the, in the hopes that we can fix them again, I suppose. Which I think the Royals actually did a, a fairly decent job of doing 
with hitters in the last couple of years. I mean, we traded Andrew Benintendi, made him a good hitter again, traded him for flipped him for three pitchers. That was a great move. That was awesome. Carlos Santana, <sighs> mixed feelings about that, but we still flipped him for something. Uh, Michael A. Taylor got him on a super cheap contract and he became like the best defensive center fielder in the game. And then this year, or rather last year, has become a, a an average hitter. You know, why, why not take a shot on a, you know, a, a struggling kind of a regular player, I guess. Like Christian Arroyo is someone that kind of comes to mind as someone who, you know, had a lot of potential coming into the league and just hasn't really been able to get there. Maybe a change of scenery, a change of coaching would do him wonders. It does make me wonder what's going to happen with the guys that we have on our roster right now because we still have these crazy log jams in the outfield and at first base. Like, Vinny Pasquantino should probably be our regular first baseman, but instead the Royals brought back Ryan O'Hearn, so I guess he's going to be our regular first baseman now. Ryan O'Hearn is going to start every game. He's going to hit leadoff every game. He's going to be the new Whit Merrifield. It's going to be awesome. Great. Uh, but then also uh, locked in a hot car is, is Nick Prado. What's the future plan with him? Uh, Kyle Isbell. And I say MJ Melendez should be in the corner outfield, but then what happens with Nate Eaton? And we've got Drew Waters, who's going to take over center field. But we still have Michael A. Taylor. And uh, there's so much that the Royals have to do. Uh, there's a lot that's got to go on. Because right now, things don't make a ton of sense with the roster construction. But still, lots of time for them to figure it out. Ah, ah, ah it's hot in this room. Why is it hot in this room? It's winter. It should be cold. It's ugh. Ugh, global warming, I guess. Even though it's like... I don't know how how warm is it outside. <laughs> I mean, I, my VPN says I'm in Dallas, so I actually have no idea how, how cold or warm it is outside. Anyway, wow, that was a lot of talking. So I apologize if you know this was long winded. Although, what podcast do I do that isn't long winded? That's a great question. But uh, I probably didn't say things the way I wanted to say them. That's also normal. It's it is what it is. Uh, it's been the first time I've been talking this much for a while, so I apologize for any mistakes, for any uh, screw-ups, whatever. Anyway, whatever happens, whatever the Royals do, we'll talk about it when we get there. Or eventually, <laughs> if I don't, like, forget to do the podcast or something like that. But in any case... Thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. You can follow me on social media at Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter. I'm there sometimes, every now and then. Or send me an email at royaldeluxepodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one. I'm Lux, and go Royals! <laughs>